So let's bow together. Father, we're thankful for a good day. We're thankful, Lord, for the health and strength that we have to be able to be here. Pray you bless Joe as he brings this, this uh, interesting study to us, that we'll learn new things, that we'll want to learn more new things, that it'll just open up the whole idea of finding more and more about your word and what it has to say to our lives through the lives of interesting people. And Father, we're thankful for the future in this church and the days ahead. We pray, Lord, you just guide us and direct us and, and be with everyone involved in uh, this time in our church. Go with us and guide us. He's saying you're asking that name. Amen. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Mind the way there. Okay, thank you. There we go. Uh, I, I, I had my, uh, my good wishes uh, for the good, good job that uh, the committee did. The presentation this morning was clear. Uh, it uh, it uh, was effective. Uh, it did, in fact, uh, introduce us all well, and I was one of many I know who appreciated it very, very much. And now looking forward tremendously next weekend. Um, so so I'm, I'm grateful. Um, it's been a hard week in many ways. Um, the, uh, she sat right over there. And uh, I sat with her one afternoon about a year ago. Uh, it wasn't long after we had done this last year. And she had asked me to come over. She had two or three things she wanted me to, to, to talk about. And, um, and one of them is that I asked her what her favorite, I had no idea what to expect. I asked uh, Katie Ruth what her favorite scripture was. And uh, I was rather startled when she told me what it was. She quoted it. And she quoted St. Paul's lines from 2 Timothy. I have finished the course. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me the crown of life, which shall be to all who those who love disappearing. I would never have expected her to say that, but she did. And that stuck with me. There's her lines that, uh, that uh, she knew a lot of scripture, I knew that. And so she could have picked a lot of things, but that was what she shared. Um, and. Um, uh, some, uh, I've told a few of you that um, uh, last uh, Sunday night, after our 5 o'clock meeting, uh, she had invited four of us, Lynn, uh, uh, Andrea and I, and Glenn and Harry. Uh, she wanted us to get to know them, and we didn't know them well, like some of you do, I think. And uh, she knew them well, and um, invited us, uh, and as Jim said this morning, uh, fixed us the most uh, elegant dinner last Sunday evening uh, until 9 o'clock we sat around her table. And uh, so the week has not been easy to cope with, to be honest. Um, I hope that these, um, that uh, the kinds of things, this is different, what we've done this time is so different from anything any of us are used to. Uh, I hope this has, has had some meaning to you. I, it's hard to know, it's hard to gauge, um, but I hope learning about the lives of some of these hidden folks 
uh, in the in the biblical text. I hope it has. I, I, I hope it serves to open a kind of window on on biblical things that uh, that otherwise we don't uh, tend to get uh, opened. Um, things that we skip over. I hope when you find things like that, uh, part of it has been to introduce you to these people. The other part has been to to have a way to talk with you about doing creative Bible study of your own. Uh, you know, when you skip over, when you come to a name and it's not one you recognize, I hope that you'll get out the resources that are right at your fingertips and see if you can find out who that was and how that person uh, functioned and uh, what, it's, what his or her role is. Uh, in the biblical story. I'm convinced there's not a single person mentioned in the New Testament that's not there for a purpose. And while the writers do not take time to take us on the trip, we certainly have the resources available to us to go on those trips. Uh, and good Bible students have great fun doing that. So it, that's, that's part of the, that's been part of the goal of this. I want to introduce you to two more tonight. And then uh, next week, um, uh, next week I'm going to do two things. I, I want to spend the first few minutes next week and tell you who, in my mind, some of the runners up. <laughs> okay. Honorable mention. Huh? Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Yes, yes. Because I have to tell you that I've worked on so many of these characters over the last 30 years that picking 10 turned out to be much more challenging than I expected. And I have uh, literally changed my mind a couple of times, uh, two hours before we showed up here at five o'clock. So uh, I want to—I do want to tell you who a few are that deserve to be in, uh, mentioned in this group, uh, other than just their names. Uh, before we get to the one that I think is the one who, who's had, had, has had the greatest influence throughout history. Uh, who is in this second generation, okay? So that, that's what we'll do next week. I have two people I want to introduce to you tonight, and I'll try to tell you why as, as, I, as I go through your, their stories of them. I'll try to keep my eye, see if I can do it, I can't do it well on time tonight if I did last week, but I'll try. Um, the, first one, uh, the first one is a, is a name who's mentioned quite often, associated with Paul, um, and associated with a church. Um, a, a church in a little town, which is right, right there. Now this is Asia, Asia Minor, where, the, where Paul's first uh, missionary journey took place, around here. here. Here's Ephesus, we'll talk about. And right here is the little town of Colossae. Colossae. Um, a town that, uh, that um, uh, uh, was not uh, well known, it was not very big. Uh, it was uh, kind of overshadowed by the more important town called Laodicea, which looks to be about three or four miles, actually I think it's about seven miles down the road. Um, but, uh, and in, in AD 17, uh, the little town was destroyed by an earthquake, um, rebuilt by the Romans, and then destroyed again in AD 60, during, the, during some of what, uh, right after, uh, within two years after Paul's experience with the town himself, that I'll tell you about, um, uh, uh, it was destroyed by an earthquake again, rebuilt again, and yet its importance continued to decline, and by the year 400 A.D., the town had disappeared. Colossae. 
Now, why is Colossae going to become important to us? Because we have a letter called Colossus. Bingo. You're picking up the cues. Now, the reason, though, that we're doing it is this. We know that there were a lot of churches, a lot of churches all over that map that were formed by people other than the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, on his trips, had to do with a lot of them. But uh, we know there are a lot here that, that come, and, we, and in almost all the cases, we have no idea who, who started the church. Now, the reason Colossae is important to us is because it is the only church that we know who started it that wasn't Paul. Paul never was in the town of Colossae. Okay? Never got there. Bypassed it. Went around it. Usually this way or this way. Okay? But never got there. The story is this. Paul spent three years in the town of Ephesus, that wonderful seaport town, which is very famous, sits right there on the uh, Adriatic, um, right there. We know a lot of people from there. Okay? We know a lot of people who settled there, John, the Apostle John being one of them. Uh, and Paul, on one of his trips, he, he founded the church there. We, we have the whole story in the book of Acts. Uh, the Diana, all of the goddess Diana stuff took place in Ephesus. It was the center of the worship of Diana. Uh, you can read about it in Acts. Um, but Paul spent three years in Ephesus uh, doing a lot of things, really. Writing, thinking, uh, working with the church, which was not an easy church. It's a seaport town, uh, which means there's a lot of, a lot of traffic through it. Uh, he viewed it as a place where a lot of people would meet him that otherwise he probably wouldn't meet. And on one, of the, one occasion, he, is, he encounters, we don't know exactly how it takes place, he meets somebody, a young, brilliant young man whose name is Epaphras. Let me, let me write that one up here. Epaphras. I think it's A. Epaphras, E-P-A-P-H-R-A-S, Epaphras. Now, you've, you've probably read enough to know that you've heard that name. Okay, you've encountered that name. Epaphras, his hometown was Colossae. We don't know how long. We don't know how they met. It could, be, it could have been a chance kind of thing. It could have been, since we know that he was a brilliant young fellow, it may have been that he heard about uh, this uh, traveling person, this uh, Jewish leader who was passing through, and, and made an effort to see him, to meet him, and to hear him, to, to, to hear him talk. At any rate, Paul and Epaphras became good friends. <clears throat> and in the midst of being good friends, Paul spent an enormous amount of time, now three years, that's a long time. I still perceive a three years as a fairly long time. Somebody comes and stays three years, I wonder when they might go home. <laughs> but at any rate, three years is a long time. So even if we say that, that he and Epaphras spent three months together or six months together, that's still a short piece of this three years. And yet you can learn a lot if, you're, if you're, you, you want to in that, in that time period. Epaphras learns virtually everything that Paul has to say. Okay? Paul, I think, recognized who he was dealing with, that he was dealing with an extraordinary young man, and decided he was going to give him 
as much as he could hold. And then what happens is Epaphras, and then probably under Paul's lead, goes back to Colossae and does what? He becomes the founder of the church in Colossae. Now, he's probably got a network of friends in Colossae. In fact, we know who a couple of them are. Uh, the church that emerges is a house church. The question is, whose house is it? Oh, now let's see here how this goes. Who lives in Colossae? Huh? A man by the name of Philemon. Is from Colossae. Wealthy, large estate, slave owner, wife named Apphia, A-P-P-H-I-A, Apphia, a son named Archippus, who is apparently a very good friend of his older neighbor, Epaphras. Okay? Now how do we know all that? Where, we, where do we turn to find the pieces of that put together? In Philemon. Well, we'll get to Philemon. We'll get to Philemon. But before Philemon, Colossians. Colossians. Okay? What happens is this. Okay? For the next couple of years, um, Epaphras goes back to Colossae, starts the church, and apparently the church does very well. It has financial support. It has uh, processes set in place for outreach. Um, uh, the, uh, the young son, probably late uh, teenager by this time, the young son of uh, Philemon and Apphia, takes a real interest in Epaphras and the church and appears to be making a commitment to the church himself, the son. You with me? Now, turn to Colossians. Okay, you got your Bible? Let's read uh, a couple of verses at the end of Colossians. Just so you know, I didn't make any of that up. Um, before I do, let, let, me, let me skip ahead one to, to go to one thing, okay? Um, we don't know exactly how much time goes by, but a few years go by, okay? Um, this is going to be written in about 58, so 57, 58 and we skip ahead to the early 60s. So another three years will go by, and during that time, Paul takes off from Ephesus, goes back, uh, makes a third trip, and, and then the trip to Rome, so all of that, and now we move Paul to Rome. Years go by, a few years, not too many. And Paul now has made the trip to Rome and is in, where's Rome, over to here, uh, and is in prison, first time. He's going to prison twice. This is the first time. He's going to be in prison about two years the first time before he's set free. It is while he is in prison over here that he has another visit from Colossians, from, from Colossae, from Epaphras. Epaphras comes to see him. Probably knows, probably has no trouble finding out where he is, okay? but, uh, but goes to see him. So from here he's going to go and make the trip, come up here to Rome and find Paul to tell Paul, uh, to give Paul a report on the church. And the reason he's coming to give a report is because things are not going well. Uh, some forces have come into the group that are now starting to say things that are, that are not what Paul taught Epaphras. 
And Epaphras is probably kind of overwhelmed by the fact that they're older than he is, uh, that uh, he is uh, he's trying hard to, to, to hold, the, hold the line, but uh, it's slipping away. Um, and so what happens next then? What does Paul decide to do? Yes, you know. Write the letter. This is why Paul writes the letter. Now, if you want to know what the heresies are, how do you find out what they are that are creeping into the Colossian church? You read the letter because everything that is there, take the opposite and you, you know what it is. In other words, Paul is now going to respond to the report of specifics that Epaphras has brought him. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it's not hard to discern what the heresies are because they are, they are very clearly marked off as you read, in, in, read the short Colossian letter. And then um, it appears that uh, uh, not only is Paul doing this from prison, but in the course of this, it appears Epaphras gets arrested himself. So Epaphras apparently is now in, in jail and uh, so the letter is now going to be sent to Colossae by another of young Paul, uh, Paul's young friends named, do you know the name of that one? Well, the reason we know is because it's in the letter. It's Tychicus. Tychicus uh, carries the letter, and now he's off to Colossae to go back. You follow me? So now, now let's read the last, uh, go to chapter 4, uh, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus. We'll get to Onesimus in a little bit. Uh, who is one of you? They will tell you what has been happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Let me skip down, okay? There are, let's see, these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, that's, the, that's what tells us that he's been the leader of this church the whole time. Um, uh, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those of Laodicea and Heropolis, which is another little town, which is right close by, right there. Heropolis, those three little towns were kind of a trio together. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. She appears to be in Laodicea. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus. Who's Archippus? A fellow prisoner. Huh? Is he a prisoner also? No, no. Who's Archippus? It's the son of Philemon and Apia. Remember the teenage son, okay? Tell Archippus. See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Don't stop. Don't stop. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Okay? Um, now, the, the reason for doing, for, for picking this out, is because um, um, where's the letter that they were supposed to read? Where's the other letter? 
They're, uh, they're carrying how many letters? Two. One, two, Colossi, and one, two, Laodicea. Um, however, where's the other letter? We have no idea. It's a lost letter. Okay. Did Paul write one? Yes. Would it be nice to have it? Oh boy, would it ever. Okay. Revelation tells us it would be a really nice letter to have. That was a, that was a mean church. Um, the, the, the point is this, it is uh, scholars believe that it was Epaphras who saw to it that the letter to Colossae was saved. Now, when you, when you digest the importance of that, these pieces that we have in our Bible that still teach us, how easy was it to lose these things? See what you see what I mean? So for for us to have, how how different would our New Testament be? Uh, what's the theme of Colossians? The supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. Now you kind of know what the heresies were. Yeah. They all surround that subject. It is the great Christological theology of Paul, the story of Christ, the the, the doctrine of of Christ is in that letter. How different would our New Testament be without it? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it would be less without it. And, and it does appear to be young Epaphras, who is now going to literally live as far as tradition, and, and many of these traditions are better than we might think, not all of them, some of them are. Okay? And this is one of those traditions that says that, uh, that uh, uh, Epaphras becomes the bishop of the church for the rest of his life. And, and scholars do believe that, uh, that his ability to preserve that letter from Paul was a remarkable achievement. And you see what I mean? This is an achievement that now is going to last forever. Forever. We have Colossians. Okay? We can piece the story of the church together. While the city did not last more than 400 years, the letter is still here. Now, to me, that's important. Now, there's a side trip. Okay? Jim suggested what the side trip was. It's a wonderful side trip, by the way, because, um, uh, and, and, and happened without anybody planning for it to. And it does appear, this whole area, this Asian area here, was known in, this was known even in the Roman Empire as the, as the, this was the, this was the continent of slaves. For every free person Roman here, there were seven slaves. Um, the interesting thing about the slaves, and that's different than what we know about, it, say, American slavery, is that they are, how did, how did one get to be a slave in the Roman Empire? You capture, they were captured. They were, they were taken from countries uh, all around. Whenever, they, whenever the Roman army captured, they gathered people up and they became, they were moved back into Roman areas and they became slaves. So uh, um, you, you have this rich hodgepodge of people who are now slaves who before were what? Doctors, lawyers. I, I mean, it's, it's not like let's gather up all the uneducated people and take them back. No, 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 no. The, the, the people who, who become slaves in this Roman Empire through this whole area through here, and, and many of them down in here, um, this, this whole area uh, are 
are, how do we say that? How do I say this without being in, impolite? They are the valuable in their people. Now, I, that sounds like all people are not valuable. That's not what I mean. Um, they, are, they are people with rich skills, okay? And people who know how to do stuff. And, and they are intellectual people, and that sort of thing. They took the frame of the crop. Yeah, that's, that's right. They, they are. They, they are the people who were brought in from lands and just happened to end up in these kinds of circumstances. So, um, uh, and, and they, were, they, they were purchased just like, I mean, you go back and read the stories of Rome and the, the big, big cities around in the empire, and uh, there's the slave markets were just like we kind of know them in early American history. 150 years ago, um, but uh, uh, and 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 most anybody in the Roman Empire uh, who was uh, uh, who had the means and the land and the estate and so forth, they had slaves. Um, and Philemon and his family had slaves. We don't know anything about how many. We don't know anything of the sort. Um, but um, we do know one of them. Onesimus. 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 You know the story, don't you? Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who got away from Philemon's household, uh, which of course was done always under the penalty of death, and not just death, but really bad death, okay? cruel death. And in fact, in many of these estates, there were pools with, uh, with man-eating eels in them and things like that. Okay? And they became uh, essential for controlling the slave population, basically. Um, but Onesimus gets away. Now, um, uh, he goes to the city where he thinks that he'll be safest, which is Rome, Rome which is Rome. He heads for Rome. And um, uh, probably travels. Now, uh, do we know much about him? Not really. Uh, no, that's not really true. We know a good deal about him because we know what happens to him. Okay? Um, uh, he goes to Rome. What we don't know, and I have to tell you, I've puzzled over this for a long time and created scenarios, too many scenarios in my head. How did Onesimus meet Paul? Because they meet. We don't know how Onesimus, if it was, if it was accidental, coincidental, was it the kind of meeting with Epaphras running into Paul in Ephesus? Just happened? Uh, did he get on that one time, Joe, and I said Paul, Paul was in prison for the right reason, and Onesimus <laughs> came in there for the wrong reason. That's well, that may be that may very well be the answer. He may have gotten to Rome, and got somebody found him out, and he's a slave, so he's arrested yeah. and ends up in prison. And and uh, over there on that side is Paul, and Onesimus is here. And where are you from? I'm from Colossae. Oh, are you now? I, you know, at any rate, something happened. They, they meet. It's, it's fascinating to think about yeah, how that might have taken place. Um, uh, um, at, at any rate, they meet, and uh, you know the story. Onesimus is obviously a smart fellow too, and here's Paul uh, is converted, and um, and Paul is now faced with uh, what to do. They all appear to get out of be released from prison. Paul was. Uh, not too much longer after that, and probably Onesimus was. But uh, at any rate, Paul, Paul uh, tells him to do what? Go back. Go back. Go back, to, go back to Philemon. Do the right thing. And then Paul agrees to write that wonderful little note, okay, 
the only personal letter that Paul wrote that we have, uh, Dear Philemon, that's the only time Paul wrote a personal, uh, heartfelt, one of the great documents in human history is that letter to Philemon that says, I know you love your God and you'll do the right thing. He's valuable to me. Please find a way to put him to service in the kingdom of God. Okay? That's essentially what the little note says. You've read it. If you haven't, go home and read it. Okay? It's a beautiful little piece. It'll take you five seconds to read the whole thing. It's not very few paragraphs. Um, and back they go. Okay? And we do know that, um, that Philemon did exactly. There are many scholars who believe that at that point, Philemon very well could have turned loose of as many as 100 to 150 slaves. Um, as Paul can, kind of came to Paul, as, as Philemon came to the realization, and uh, turned him loose. Turned, turned, uh, and and what he did essentially is send Onesimus back to Paul. Okay, and Onesimus appears to have become a a companion of Paul in that circle that he that he had doing various doing various things. The bottom line is this: um, Onesimus. Uh, uh, over the next, uh, in the years after Paul's death, Onesimus became the bishop of the city of Ephesus mm -hmm. after Timothy. Mm -hmm. Remember I said, told you before that Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus? Uh, a lot of people in Ephesus. The apostle John is there. So we, we got a nice group in Ephesus. And um, one of the things, if we had a lot of time, I would show you the story um, we know he's there because we have a, 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 several letters that are written to the church in Ephesus by other leaders of the church. The, uh, one of them being uh, Ignatius, who was a, uh, is never mentioned, the reason he's not in our group is because he's not mentioned in the New Testament, but he was one of those great leaders of that time. Ignatius, do you know that name? It's a great name, one of the early church fathers, he's called. And he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus because they were not treating their bishop well. And their bishop is who? Onesimus. Um, now, uh, the interesting thing about it is that you can read the letter. I have it with me. I, time won't permit us to, uh, to actually read it, but you can read it online very easily. Ignatius, bishop to the church in Ephesus. Bishop's letter to the church in Ephesus. The interesting thing about it is that um, virtually, and as you read the letter, you become conscious of something. Um, it's just hinted at. There's little little bits of this and little bits of that. That um, because um, uh, people are not going to church like they're supposed to, and the bishop says, or, or Ignatius says, um, uh, you know, you follow the lead of your bishop. Your bishop is appointed by God, and even though you don't particularly like him. And even though you may not think he's doing what he's... You read that, and then you start looking at all of the early icons of Onesimus. What conclusion do you draw? You draw the conclusion that he's black. There's not a single icon. You know those icons that, uh, that were early church portraits of them? Uh, every single one of them, and and we're not we're we're not in a predominantly black area here. Okay, this is uh, 
this is this is not even actually Middle Eastern style. This is this is uh, uh, this is a white white Rome basically, and you get the impression that Onesimus was having difficulty in his work as bishop because some people were were not reacting well to his racial background. Uh, it's it's. Uh, it, 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 it is uh, hypothetical, but it doesn't take too much looking to say, I think, I think we're on this. I think, we're, I think I see where this has come from. Okay? Um, which, I don't, I don't know what to make of that, except that um, that kind of thing was going on back here, too, in this story. Um, Uh, any, any, any. Uh, I, I want to go to my to my other person. Uh, any, any comments or questions? Uh, uh, I want you to know, this is. To, uh, we owe something really great to Epaphras, and uh, that is the that uh, that uh, short-lived church in Colossae that gave us the the, the great Colossian letter, the great Pauline theology of the divinity of Christ. Uh, which uh, you ought to read probably once a month, just to keep it fresh in your mind. Yes, so who, sir? Who did you say that second letter that got lost to it was written to? The church in Laodicea. It's right, it mentions it right at the end of Colossians. Glenn, right at the end of Colossians. Do you see where it says, after this letter has been read, then read the letter that I sent to the Colossians, and then give them yours. Well, it's, it's lost forever. We've never seen it. Uh, was it well probably a little group they're all if you look here you see that there are several who appear to have been in that little group that went back okay does that make sense uh, dr. Lamb, is that the way you read it too yeah it's safer to travel in the group exactly exactly yeah Some uh, people but, but, tra but traveling with letters was always always iffy iffy you could lose them in no time Go ahead, Jeff. So some people have wondered why in the world that little private letter got... Oh, Philemon. Yeah, Philemon. Yeah, why is that? And, and some have speculated that that you had Onesimus here who was a runaway slave. Yeah. And uh, probably going into Rome to get in trouble. <laughs> Bumped into Paul and got converted and came back. And he wanted to let people know if God could take a runaway slave and he become the bishop of the church in heaven and says, God can do anything with you. Yep, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and it was a great, great uh, message. It is a great little book. A lot of people skip right over Philemon. Like I said, he can, you can read five minutes at the most, but read it. it, it it's a great book. Thank you. Yeah. And any other comments? I want to go to the last person. This, 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 this one's high on my list. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the story. Now, this is one I want you to help me with the story, like we've done before. Aristobulus. Aristobulus. Uh, have you heard, it, heard the name? Okay, we're, we're in the list in Romans 16 again. Romans 16. Okay? You're going to be tired of that list soon? 
No, we haven't even scratched the surface of all this. <laughs> okay. Someday we'll, someday we'll come back to Romans 16. Romans 16. This is the say hello to list. Okay? You remember? And this one is uh, interesting because there, let's see, what verse is it in? Where is he saying? What, what verse is he in? 10. There it is. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. And then he says this. Greet those, not, uh, not greet Aristobulus, but greet those of the household of Aristobulus. Okay? Those of the household of Aristobulus. Um, how many people are we, might we be talking about? We don't know, do we? We don't know. What we know is, who's missing? <coughs> who's not there? Aristobulus. He isn't. Aristobulus is gone. Otherwise, Paul would have said, greet Aristobulus and his household. But he doesn't. He says, greet the household of Aristobulus. Now, the fact that he's going to, he wants to greet the household of Aristobulus tells you that Aristobulus, this is, there is something, there's a story here. And boy, is there a story. The question is, where is Aristobulus? And the answer is very simple, and you can find it out yourself without even trying, because Aristobulus is in Britain. Britain. England. Before it's England. Okay? That's where Aristobulus is. Where do you know that? Well, let me try to tell you. <laughs> uh, the, 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 story, the stories of, uh, of England. Now, we've been to the England stories before. Okay? And virtually all of this has to do with the, the, the extra stuff that didn't get into the Bible. All right? But it's, it's, it is such sound history that nobody challenges. Nobody says it didn't happen because this is the way it happened. Now, remember last year we talked about the first one who started um, uh, talking about Jesus in, in England was who? Who was the tin? Who was the tin miner? The metal miner? Joseph of Arimathea made those trips back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and, and started talking about Jesus. Started talking about Jesus. The second person we know that went to England was one of Jesus' own disciples, who was um, whose name I just forgot. You said last week, didn't you say Mary and Martha and Lazarus? They went with Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, but you're thinking about somebody. Yeah, this is one of the disciples. Uh, Simon, uh, uh, Simon the Zealot. It was Simon the Zealot. Simon Zelotes was, his, was the, uh, the uh, formal name. But, uh, but uh, he became known as the Zealot. Uh, he went and preached uh, alongside Joseph of Arimathea, and then when Joseph of Arimathea died, uh, uh, Simon continued to preach a bit. We know that probably other disciples went to Britain because it was such an easy trip around, the, around Spain to get there by, uh, by water. Um, but the person who arrived was Aristobulus. He was the third one, and the church that emerges in Britain now, my friends, the reason this is important to me uh, in a study like this is because the church that is planted early, in fact, uh, many scholars argue that the earliest Christian church outside Jerusalem was in England uh, because of Joseph of Arimathea. Um, but the church that grew in Britain became 
the, the centuries, centuries are going to pass and a lot of things are going to happen, but it, its foundation, it, it becomes the foundation for, uh, for the, Protest, the Western Protestant Church. Uh, for the church that after the Reformation is going to become Methodism and all and Anabaptists and all that whole group, uh, which are going to be based in England, okay? and from England they're going to be transported to America. Voila. Yeah. Okay. In other words, when we talk about somebody like Aristobulus, you can track American Protestantism uh, straight all, all back, back through the through the centuries, past the Reformation, back and lodge it with somebody like Aristobulus. Now we know two things about Aristobulus. We know these from the New Testament. Okay? One thing we know is this, Aristobulus, these, will, these are the things that will catch you a little off guard. Aristobulus is the older brother of the Book of Acts character named Barnabas. Aristobulus is the older brother of Barnabas. And what we also know quite well is that Aristobulus is the father-in-law of the apostle Peter. Now, you have to we're going to let those sink in for just a second. Have you heard of Barnabas? Oh yeah. Okay. We know a lot about How much do you know about Barnabas? Well, if I ask you to start talking about it, you're going to talk about it for a while. Okay? Um, Peter, was Peter married? Yeah. Yes. And the traditions that point back, um, point and say that Peter was married to Aristobulus' daughter. Now, uh, if Barnabas, uh, where did Barnabas come from to land in Palestine? Cyprus. Cyprus. The island of Cyprus. You know where Cyprus is? The uh, Cyprus is right there. See the island? Short jump here. Okay, you can almost make the trip back and forth. Okay, from Cyprus. Meaning Aristobulus is from Cyprus. Uh, Barnabas has another relative. I, I should say now, if they're brothers, Barnabas and Aristobulus has another relative that we know about from the New Testament. They Who is off. she? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Hold on to the mark. Okay. Um, who is she? Well, she is Mark's mother. Okay? We know that. Paul tells us that. Okay? Mark's mother. Um, do you remember when we did our Jesus study and we talked about the house that uh, seems every time Jesus and the disciples needed a place to go, whose house did they go to? Her name was? Mary. Mary. Her name was Mary. This is the Mary who is the uh, the 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 aunt, going to be the aunt of Barnabas and Aristobulus, okay? Um, not the sister, the aunt. Can you keep that in mind? Okay. That's the way it will line up. So, they're relatives. In fact, the Last Supper was in the upper room of Mary's house. When the disciples gathered after Pentecost, the house seems to be the same one in Jerusalem. It, it most likely was the house of Mary. She appears to have had a very large gathering room upstairs, which became kind of a gathering place. Okay? When Peter was let out of prison and had no place to go and, um, and needed to find the disciples for where the prayer meeting was, where did he go? He went to the house of Mary. That's where they were praying. Uh, you follow me? 
Okay? Now, with that, we can think about who Aristobulus is. Okay? So, um, how do you know Peter's married? It's from the New Testament. I won't take time to go through them all, but let me show you one, one thing. Okay? 1 Corinthians 9.5. I, I take a quick look. Okay? Whoever finds it first, read it for us. 9.5. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Did you hear that? Yeah. Cephas has a, a wife who's traveling with her. Okay? Uh, and apparently traveled a lot with him uh, at a certain point in his life. So, um, uh, let me take you to one other text. Um, I'm watching time. Oh boy. It's going away. Um, Acts uh, 17. I, I want to show you the kind of thing that, that, that the scholars look for. Okay? Uh, Acts uh, 17. Uh, right at the end of, of the chapter of 17, where is it, where is it, 17, and what place? No, no, wait, 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 wait. My, my mistake, it's Matthew 17. My mind's all over the place. Matthew 17. Yeah, there it is, there it is. Okay, uh, 24 of 17, verse 24, Jesus and his disciples arrive at Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Who lives in Capernaum? Peter, 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 yeah. Peter and the brothers. Uh, that, remember that was one of the towns up on the Sea of Galilee, way up north, where, where we, that we talked about last year, okay? Um, and and uh, and now the, uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the publicans and so forth are engaging Peter in conversation, and uh, Peter talks to them a little bit, and then in, at the top of chapter 18, uh, while this was going on, the disciples returned and asked, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And what did uh, uh, what did Jesus do? called a little child and had him stand among them and he said I will tell you the truth unless you change it who was the little child whose house are they standing in front of Peter's house Peter's house uh, it says so right there in the verse before now the kind of thing we're talking about is this um, not only uh, is Peter married but Peter has children and this is the kind of uh, little cue to that that we tend to look for uh, in, in this kind of situation. Now, what that means is, by the time this is early in Jesus' ministry, and Peter is already married, right? Has some children, small children. Which means, if he's going to be married to Barnabas and uh, Aristobulus's daughter, when did they leave Cyprus and come into Palestine? Well, can we, will the words really early help us get through that? No. <clears throat> okay. In other words, probably before Jesus even began his ministry. Okay? And Peter is, so by the time Jesus is in his first year or so, Peter's got little kids running around. You, you follow what I'm saying? Okay? 
Now, uh, the, the reason that's important is because it's going to put Barnabas and Aristobulus in Palestine, literally from the very beginning of Jesus, not just the disciples, but, but these outsiders who become related to the disciples are, are there with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Uh, does that make sense to, to look at it that way? Um, now, while we follow Barnabas, we tend not to follow Aristobulus. But if he is there, which he appears to be, okay? You, you got Peter saying, oh, uh, Mr. Aristobulus, may I have the hand of your daughter? They know each other, okay? Uh, so, um, how, how close are all of these people? Um, how well do they know each other? Are they good friends? Um, do they kind of spend a lot of time talking to each other as the days go by? Of course they do. Family and extended family. Huh? Sounds like family and extended family. It absolutely sounds like that. And then some really close friends around the edge of the family. Absolutely. Okay. Now, let's go to Barnabas. Uh, what do you know about Barnabas? When do we meet Barnabas in the New Testament? What is he doing when we meet him? Paul and Barnabas go on... Well, way before, way before then, what happens? Paul, remember the Damascus Road? Paul's converted. What's he going to Damascus for? Kill Christians, right? And now the word is back in Jerusalem. He's coming back, except he says he's not going to kill us. How's this going to fly? Paul's coming to prayer meeting Wednesday night. Are you all going to be here? So Barnabas has got to be This mass killer is going to be here? Well, sure, greet him. Make a list. Who solves the problem? Barnabas. Barnabas said, I'll go get him. I'll go get him. I'll go check him out for you. Barnabas, you're nuts. You know, Barnabas got him, brought him, said, I'll vouch for him. I won't let him out of my sight. You, you follow what I'm saying? I won't let him out of my sight. And all of a sudden, Barnabas is, um, what do you know, what else do you know about Barnabas? Wealthy, wealthy. How do you, how do we know, Dr. Lamb? He can sell property and give to the church and keep them going. Let's, uh, let's take a quick look at, um, at Acts chapter 4. I love this. I love this. Acts chapter 4. Where is it? Am I in the right place? Start, we're at the start of the church. And what does it say Barnabas did? Am I in the right place or is it chapter 2? You're, it's, it's in four. It's in What's it say? What's it say? Read it. Uh, I'm not, I'm, my, my book is not letting me see it. Uh, verse 36, and Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas, by the apostles, translated, means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Be careful what you say about Barnabas. He just gave the church $100,000. Okay? Sold a tract of land and turned it over to the church. Um, where did he get the tract of land? We don't know. It, but obviously it was a wealthy family. Wealthy family. Okay? 
Um, and remember too that, that Paul and Barnabas, after this starts out, Paul and Barnabas stay very close together. Uh, almost like we don't trust in Barnabas, make sure you hang tight. You know? Because they do. And when it comes time to that the church is, uh, in Antioch, is wants to send them on a trip to help uh, uh, plant churches, um, it's not Paul and Barnabas who go, it's who? Huh? It's who? What does the, what's the text say? It's Barnabas and Paul. Not Paul and Barnabas. Who's the leader of the group? Barnabas is the leader of the team. Okay? Paul is coming along for the ride. Now about halfway through that first trip, it, changes, it shifts on us. It becomes Paul and Barnabas, as it is from that point on. Okay? But the role of Barnabas, you get it here, is a very strong role at the, at the beginning. Okay? So Barnabas is in, a, uh, is in a unique position here. Now, with Paul and Barnabas this close, eventually, Paul's going to meet who? They're going to hang around Jerusalem off and on for quite a while. And who's, out, who's also there? The rest of the family. Aristobulus, Mary, they're all there. We don't know who else is even in the family. Okay. Now, probably uh, after... Do you remember last year we talked about the death of James? The murder of James, the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem? Uh, which was the one terrifying event during that period of about 1940, uh, 1940 about uh, uh, 40 to 45. Uh, what did the Christians have a tendency to do after the murder of James? Scatter, scatter, get, get out of town. Things are turning bad on his path. And it's probably at that time that a family like the, the, the a family of Aristobulus and, um, uh, and, and Barnabas, uh, and even Mary. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing is that this dispersion, this diaspora that took place um, uh, as everybody tried to get out of here, you can see where they're, you can see where they're gonna go. They're gonna, you're gonna kind of pick your place. You, you wanna go to Ephesus, you wanna, and they're gonna go to places, the Christians are gonna go to places where they know Christians are. That's how you get a start, okay? Um, and we do know that, that numerous of these families, this is how Paul knew so many people that he writes to here, even though he hasn't been in Rome. He's met them other places. And, and the migration to Rome, Rome is kind, of a, is kind of a magnet, but at any rate, it does appear that the family of Aristobulus, which would include Barnabas, he, he's probably still alive. We do know that there are records now so what happens is that by long distance, um, now who does Aristobulus know close? He knows both, he's going to know, both Peter and Paul. Both of them. Okay? Remember? Relative of one, really close to Barnabas, which puts him right up close to Aristobulus too. Uh, and it, is a, it appears to be, at first, Peter, but then Paul, who talks Aristobulus into moving on to England, which is right here. Okay? Uh, and he decides, apparently, to go. I suspect there are a few other members of the family with him. But, uh, but these are people who would have their own little estate back here in Rome, where probably a lot of Christians find refuge. 
Um, so it, when when Paul says greet greet the household of Aristobulus, he knows Aristobulus is in England, is in Britain, but he also knows that back in the house are a ton of people and probably a lot of kids, probably a lot of even infants uh, of, an, of what is a, what is clearly an extended an extended family. Now, it's also an extended family like the ones we've already talked about, like, uh, like Putin's and Claudia and so forth. And one of the interesting things, of course, is that when you put the majority of Christians um, in this city, you are in effect laying the groundwork for this to become the church. By the second century, it is clear that whoever the bishops are, and at first there appear to be three or four co-bishops, but as, as gradually one filters to the top. Okay? Next week I'll tell you about one who did filter to the top. Because he, it's, that's in my little list of, of uh, what did you call them a while ago? Uh, uh, honorable mentions. All honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, uh, you, 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 get the, you, you begin to realize why the bishop there begins to extend his influence out among the smaller, among the smaller churches. Nobody decided Rome should be the headquarters. Nobody decided that. It is something that kind of happens as a, as a process develops over 150 years here. Okay? Um, the number swells in Rome of Christians. And, and even the persecutions of Nero, which is the first big one. Um, another one will come about 30 years later in the, in the mid-90s. Um, but even those do not wipe out the church. A lot of people get killed for their faith, no question about it. But it comes nowhere near to wiping out the church. The church simply goes underground for a while. Uh, its numbers uh, kind of uh, are, are, are a bit overwhelming uh, to Roman authorities. And so the church is going to survive. And it's going to survive in a big time way here. Okay. And become, yes, the church of Rome. Okay? But that's going to take three, four hundred years to get it to that point. Okay? Uh, right now it is, um, it's, it is turning into the largest of the churches, but, but an, absolutely, an absolutely great church. Okay? Um, now, the other place that it takes off and grows is the place over here. Okay? And that is in Britain, Glastonbury. And eventually in the growing city of London, it starts to emerge. Um, and, and the number of Christians, um, Aristobulus becomes the first bishop of Britain. Uh, largely because uh, of his natural abilities. Uh, another reason is because he has the, financi the finances to pull this off, which is important. I have been around churches growing up where you, we got to see where one well-to-do person could absolutely transform a church if that person decided to. In the heart of Illinois, where they started a little poor college when my dad was young. Um, Christian college. I graduated from it myself years later. Um, there was a farmer. Farmer. Um, who lived about 50 miles away in a little town called Assumption, Illinois. 
and in the course of his uh, lifetime, he built the largest farm implement company in the state of Illinois. Now, you gotta remember, farm implements in Illinois are big business. A tractor costs more than a car. A combine, a corn picker. You know the machines I'm talking about? If you don't have a quarter million dollars, don't even go see them. Okay? The machines are like that. And he owned the largest. It was on Route 51. You could drive by it, and you could see tractors and farm implements for three acres. And uh, he was a great Christian man. And he poured every bit of his income into that little Christian college and the churches that supported it. He wore his blue bib overalls and his kicked boots all his life. He'd, he'd occasionally put on a tie to go to church. But he gave off no sign of being wealthy because he wasn't. He made tons of money. And with that, he supported during the 50s when my dad was in school. Uh, and nobody had any money. He paid for those students to go to school. Uh, because he could. Well, I think, I think we're looking at an Aristobulus okay, here, as someone who had that ability to. Okay? Now, it's a family thing. It's a family thing. Uh, we do know that Barnabas came on many occasions to England, never stayed, never stayed put there like Aristobulus did. Aristobulus lived all of his life in England and is said to have died in about 99 in the hills of England. One of the reasons that some historians say the most sacred spots in the, in the world are not in the Holy Land, they're in England. It's an interesting story. But here's Paul saying, give greetings to the household of Aristobulus. Could very well say, uh, I'll take care of sending a note to him myself, because he was away. Any, any comments, questions, thoughts? They say, too, archaeology and places of biblical interest, they're more in Asia Minor. Than well, there's a lot in Asia Minor. Yeah, yeah. You can see why. All these churches. All these churches the churches yeah, of yeah. Revelation. All seven churches of Revelation right are right there. here in this little cluster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are countless, if you go to England, uh, the artifacts of all of this are still being excavated. In our, in our. Oh yeah, the whole, the whole British, the whole British Isles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me what your thoughts are before we go. I think it's great. How did Aristobulus make his money? Well, I, I think it was family money. Uh, there are two, there are two sources that are usually, one is that the, the family was a long, long time in Crete and uh, they were various kinds of growers of things, and it was with that money that, that and my point of, no, not Crete, I mean Cyprus, I said it wrong, I looked at that and said the wrong one. Uh, Cyprus, and that it was, it was uh, the money that was, that what was produced here turned into money here, which wasn't unusual. I mean, the fishing industry did the same thing. These guys would fish on the Sea of Galilee and had ways to get it to Jerusalem to sell it, you know, which was 50 miles, 60 miles away. Uh, please, other comments, thoughts? I think it's important to remember that most of them were not wealthy in these 
and then James really taking them to task for treating the wealthy man better and caving in to them and he chewed them out for it. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to imply that that was not the other side of the coin. Yeah, you're correct to. to, uh, to but they were on the food. They were this marvelous yeah. spread. Yeah. Any other comments? My friends, thank you. Uh, as usual, we go. I, I, I'll end up owing you about an hour, <laughs> <laughs> which, which you'll never see. Of course. <laughs> thank, uh, thank you all. Let, let us uh, pray together before, before we go. God, we thank you for the stories. We thank you for the people of the past, on whose labors and shoulders arms we still live. We pray that you will bless us in our work, bless our friends and loved ones who have gone before us and who have given us a heritage that stands as a beacon, not only in our lives, but in our church and our community. We pray that you will grant us your blessing in the coming week. Please care for us. Help us to give you our best. And when those barriers and dark moments come, may your spirit lift us and carry us through. Our faith tells us that you will. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.